Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the first season of Keepers of the Flame, a classic metal podcast. It is Sunday night. It is time to grab a beverage of your choice, alcoholic or not, and listen to a bunch of nerds talk about heavy metal music. This week, I actually do not have a beer in my hand. I have a bottle of mead. All right. Yeah, dude. This is from our buddies at Cult Mead in Tacoma, Washington. This is called A Heart for the Butcher. This is a cherry mead with cacao nibs and vanilla bean that was aged on Hungarian oak. I did not know Hungarian oak was really a thing, but apparently it is. Um, Cult Mead is a meadery just south of where, you know, Greyhawk is based. We're in Seattle. Tacoma is about 30 minutes south of here. And uh, I got to say, like, Cult does some of the most creative meads you can think of. Um, they did a Greyhawk mead, which is a poche, which is a caramelized mead meaning we caramelized the honey. We added some, uh, it was aged on some oak as well, which is what they like to do to most of their meads because um, they dry meads, not so, so much as sweet ones. Um, and we added some orange peel, we added some cardamom, and there's a couple of bottles left in existence. I own one or two of them, um, but they do fantastic mead. Uh, so check them out. Um, with me as always, Sunday night is my co-host Rev. How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right. I've got my, uh, my Ryan ginger once again, uh, because it's so difficult to buy ginger ale in, in small uh, quantities. I ended up buying this giant like 18 pack of ginger ale cans, and I'm not going to use it for anything else. So I've been drinking a lot of this. I, I, I fresh... can relate to that, man. I mean, it's a good way to go through your cheap whiskey. If you just buy a case of, case of ginger ale and, you know, pretend you're in Canada and you just yep. like... Throw some mice and some ginger ale and some some cheap rye whiskey, man. Dude, it's such a good cocktail. I love it. I, I've even got the uh, Crown Royal rye in here, so it's Ooh, we're going full can. Nice, hell yeah! <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna, it's just us this week. There's no guests, um, so we are gonna get kind of right to it. Um, this is an interesting um, album we are gonna do this week. It definitely like made me think about a lot of things. Um, this is a major label release. It's not like a you know, smaller band. This is the first, this is not the first, but this is a solo album by Todd Latour, who um, since 2013 has been the voice of Queensryche. Um, now, I got to go out and say that I love his work with Queensryche. I think he's just done great things. Um, I don't know, have you listened to his Queensryche albums at all? Uh, you know, I got started on it this week kind of uh, to, to, as a companion to listening to his solo album. And yeah, I got to say, I really like him. I like the self-titled. I especially like the most recent one, The Verdict, a lot. Verdict is great. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it sounds, they sound kind of revitalized with him. Um, you know, I got to be honest, as much as I really have a huge amount of respect for Jeff Tate, and I, he's a great singer and he can do a lot of really impressive stuff that I definitely can't do. Um, I... I, there's something about his approach and his kind of vibe that just doesn't quite work for me. And it's been a little bit of an impediment, I think, to getting into Queensryche, especially their middle period stuff. Like I, I like that first EP that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, but I've had trouble getting into the, you know, 90s stuff. Empire doesn't really work for me. Um, even though, again, I respect everybody in that band. So it's actually really nice to hear some of the really, uh, interesting instrumental work that the rest of Queensryche is doing with a vocalist I just like the vibe of a little bit more. Um, so I've yeah I've really been enjoying that stuff. Cool man. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I definitely, I'm a big, I'm a big Jeff Tate fan. I mean, I think we talked, you talked about the first DP a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of the older material, but um, you know, kind of like promised land, Q2K, Minecraft 2, tribe. Mm-hmm. I don't dig those records at all. I think they're pretty crappy. And then, you know, I pretty much had written this band off. And then Todd comes along, you know, early part of the last decade and yeah like you said he really breathed new life into this band um, there's all kinds of crap that went on between the band made band members that i'm not really an expert on so i'm not going to speak on but you know between jeff and the other band and i know jeff does his own thing um he plays his own shows and whatever but i gotta say like you know well the stuff todd did I saw Todd play with Queen's Rake. It was actually a couple weeks after moving to the United States. Um, I saw them play, Queen's Rake play with Armored Saint at the showbox in Seattle, the market right down by Pike Place Market. And Mm -hmm. it was amazing. Absolutely fucking amazing. Um, And from there, from that point, I kind of said, well, I need to hear what this guy's done with this band. And, I checked it out and I've been a fan ever since. So I've, I like Todd um, and I really wanted to like this solo record. And the good news is I absolutely did like this solo record. So that was a cool thing. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of him. I'm a fan of the solo record. Not all of it. Um, let's be clear right there, right off the bat, that I don't love every single note that was played on this record. But I, do, I did enjoy listening to it over the past week. Yeah, I I enjoyed it too. And um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not going to call it the greatest album ever written or anything. But uh-huh. it, it definitely, um, it, it increased my respect for him as an artist, as a multi-talented artist, as a singer who's got a great deal of versatility, um, as a songwriter, all of that. Like, it, it's definitely a statement of like, here I am, check out all this stuff I can do. And uh, I found that impossible to ignore. Um it's a it's an interesting album it definitely it seems to be going out of its way to not sound like Queensryche um and and to kind of be be cutting its own path uh something that kind of kept popping into my mind was 90s like this this yeah yeah it has a very I mean that's that's a reduction thing it has a very I mean you want to talk about solo albums like the main solo album from a big singer of the last 20 so on years is Rob Halford mm-hmm. and the guy named Roy Z produced those records produced that album produced Bruce Dickinson's solo albums mm-hmm. um, and then Roy Z kind of introduced introduced the production that we kind of see uh, followed on this record yeah the um, I think some of that is is, is the, the way the guitar work works too it's this guy Craig Blackwell who I haven't heard of before. Um, Don't know who he is, but yeah, doesn't seem to have player, man. Yeah. He's, he's a great player. Um, Some of the kind of stuff he's doing, it kind of reminded me of the, the like mid nineties deal albums. Actually. I kind of was thinking about uh, strange highways a little bit with, uh, with Tracy G um, the guitarist had, there's a a bit of a similar kind of tone and some similar riffing. Um, Definitely not a bad thing, Uh, but it's, it's got that very, uh, well, first of all, I think the guitars are tuned down a little bit, uh, probably to, I'm not sure where, D, C sharp maybe. Um, and it's just got that really like kind of sound to it um, that I kind of associate with a more 
kind of 90s sound. I mean, yeah, it does kind of sound like Halford's Resurrection. Uh, one of my, I, I really love uh, the Bruce Dickinson album, The Chemical Wedding. It's one of my favorite. Oh, dude, it's um, so good. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite albums out of, I guess, what I'll call like the the maiden no-sphere, you know. And so it, it, at various points, this kind of reminded me of that album. Not least because Todd Latour actually sounds a bit like Bruce Dickinson at times. And I was kind of surprised because that's not something I heard so much on the Queensryche material. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting how you said it. I mean, I only really heard him because he displays a lot of different voices on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, I only heard the Queensryche voice once or twice. Yeah, you know? me too. And he definitely like hits... And his Queensryche voice is in that Jeff Tate realm, you know. He kind of, he doesn't imitate him, but he hit, he has a similar timber and a similar range, and he kind of operates in that zone when he's doing the Queensryche stuff, which is cool. I mean, that, that's what that's what the fans are going to want. But he definitely explores a lot of different things on this record, and he shows a lot of diversity, and he shows that he likes a lot of different forms of metal. But the, the main thing, this album is metal as fuck. Like it really, you, 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 there's a lot of things you could say about this album, but selling out or being commercial is definitely not one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, if anything, it's, uh, it's, it's heavier than I expected. Oh, it's super heavy. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Todd. Um, Todd uh, is known mainly for his Queensryche stuff. Um, he was in the band Midnight for like a minute. I guess he like subbed for them for a second, which is Midnight are one of the better bands to come down the pike in the last 10 years, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he was in Crimson Glory for a while too, um, which is really cool. He's done a couple albums of Queensryche. Um, this is his first solo album that I'm aware of. I don't know. There might be other ones, but this is the first one I'm aware of. It came out in February 5th of this year, 2021 on Rat Pack Records, label I've never really heard of. Um, overall, you're list- when I listen to this thing, I, I hear like really classic, traditional American heavy metal um, with some modern takes on it. Um, there's some progressive nuances that are thrown in there, but the main thing I'm hearing are like Priest, uh, how- but mainly like Halford's solo album and Fight, if people know Fight by Halford, but like there's some like Nevermore tinges that are thrown in there like mm. especially with the down tuning of the guitars um he doesn't really have the sad world aid voice but um there's even some like alice in chains moments on this oh, yeah. record um so he definitely like throws a lot and, and this is 100 percent a um a solo record i mean this is a two-man endeavor like todd plays the drums and he sings and he did some guitars and then um god damn it what's the name of the other guy Craig Blackwell? Craig Blackwell does everything else. Like, plays the bass, plays the guitar. I think Craig does the lead guitar. Who? Yeah, he's a great lead guitarist. There's some really oh, yeah. good solos. There's some very memorable solos on this record. And the thing I was complaining about last week with um, the Crystal Viper stuff and the, the lead guitarists not having their own tone, this guy does a pretty good job of, like, having a really distinct lead tone. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I was I was impressed, especially as kind of a uh, debut on to, to some extent from him. I know he's been he seems like a player who's got a lot of experience, but like on the metal archives, there's a couple projects I hadn't heard of. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I was I was impressed by that. I think it's cool that uh, I read that Todd Latour is someone who considers himself primarily a drummer. That that was the, his instrument he started on. He's described himself as a drummer who just likes to sing. Um, he's really good at it, dude. He's really good at drums. 
Like, he's really going to drop. I was very, very shocked to hear that that was him. Because, like I said, I, I didn't read that until my second or third listen. Because, like I said, I like to just go in not knowing anything and, mm-hmm. and, and be my first impression, just be a raw one. And, damn, dude, I, I, I was really impressed that that was him behind the kit. Well, apparently, I just saw, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for the album now, just so I could double check Craig Blackwell's name. And it, it says here that uh, he played drums on The Verdict as well. Todd did. Well, there you go. So, There's the connection. I mean, but that's cool. I mean, as a dude that he's probably like, um, you know, there's a lot of guys in the scene, especially when you get to metal on like Queensryche's level, who are just mainly not necessarily guys who wind up on stage or in the spotlight. They're, they're like uti- utility guys. You know, they, they step in, they're very talented. They fill a role. They know how to play on a record. Um, and it's cool to see a guy like that get to do a solo record with Todd because this is kind of a big deal. Um, so the production on this album is big, real big. It's not, there's nothing really subtle about it. There's nothing really raw about it. The whole thing is hella compressed. Um, the guitars and the bass are down tuned. Um, there's a mix of styles, but it's very like rooted in metal. It's a very, very heavy record. Um, it's a very clean album. It's very, like I said, everything is really compressed down, edited, and very clean sounding. It doesn't sound fake. Don't get me wrong. This doesn't sound like typewriter drums or cookie cutter guitars. It's like, it's a very produced, but um, I mean, it, it's not like overproduced, but it's definitely like a very, very clean sounding record. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. And um, I think it, it, fulfilled, it it's fulfills a couple different purposes. Um, for one thing, it, it just kind of, it, it seems like Todd Latour is someone who's kind of associated with various legacy metal acts, you know, being involved with Crimson Glory, being involved, you know, with, with Queensryche most visibly. But with this album, he's kind of making a case to be seen as an artist on his own. And, you know, I started thinking about like, you know, what, what, what can an album like this achieve apart from just being something, you know, because obviously he loves to play music and here he's playing some music, but it also has the effect of, you know, creating a, uh, a kind of background of uh, his own material. So if he wants to go on tour with his own band and play some of these songs, play some Queensryche songs, hell, play a couple Crimson Glory songs, how cool would that be? You know, I would yeah. go see it. I would too, man. And, you know, and that's the thing, like, I guess it's, it's a little different if you were kind of like joining legacy bands after the fact, I guess, if you kind of like cut your teeth as a singer in a band and you're one of the people who you're like the first singer or the second singer of the band, or you're known for the classic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a legacy, but I guess for him, there's this drive to want to get out and, you know, strike out on his own. And I guess also to, to clearly to display his varying tastes in in metal mm-hmm. um so let's dive into it man um so the first song the one thing that before we kind of really dive in the one thing i wanted to that was interesting to me when i look at this is that there's all these songs are very to the point there's not a song really over seven minutes long on the whole mm-hmm. record it's very none of them are there's no fluff it's all really meat and potatoes to the point like there's not a lot of bullshit on this record. And I was really impressed by that from a solo album, from a solo album perspective. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, the first album is very much along those lines. It's called Dogmata. 
this is straight up American classic metal. And the first thing that hits me is that he's singing in a much harsher voice than I used to. Um, mm-hmm. Then he does a clean strike. Um, he hits some really high notes at some point. Um, then the chorus goes a bit new metal and I got a bit worried. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I was like, Oh boy, is this what we're going to do here? We're going to like, kind of like rock out a little bit. Then we're going to go new metal, but overall, this is a cool song. Um, it's a bit, I don't know. I don't want to call it any, I don't want to hesitate to call anything a little stock, but it just, um, well, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. And especially, you know, once I heard the whole album, I kind of enjoyed this song uh, and the early part of the album more knowing what was coming because uh, this is definitely an album where side B is the one I really want to listen to. Correct. It, this really took off in the second half for me. Agreed. Um, so I, I won't have as much to say about the uh, the first couple tracks just because they didn't make as much of an impression. But um, yeah, this is, it's, it's a cool song. It did, yeah, even like the main riff almost like, had a little concern like oh this might be a little new metal because it's kind of got this like this it's kind of a bit stuttery um but it's yeah it's cool he's got a and i was kind of struck by how it's got this uh there is a bit of a bruce dickinson solo album sound not just in the production but actually in his vocals at this one point he he says turn up the juice or hang by the noose and the way he delivers it is just straight bruce Um, yeah also, I, I will say I learned a new word. Dogmata is the plural of dogma, and I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that either. Now I learned yeah. a new word as well. See. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're going to get on to the next one, which is pretenders. Um, this one I actually want to play. This is kind of like what, what I got more on the second listen, kind of like you got into the first song a little more on the second mm-hmm. listen. Um, the beginning of the song has like some layered keys that go on. Um, and the first, this, this one, like, struck me as very Rob Halford solo album or fight-type clone. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, it just kind of sounds like he's, like, replicating the Rob Halford solo albums of the early 2000s, whatever. Um, but then I, like, kind of augured into it a little more. And first of all, the guitar solo on this album is sick. It's mm-hmm. so fucking good. I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't, I did not, I don't know how I didn't hear that the first time around, but this guitar solo is exceptional. Um, and then I started like listening to the lyrics and I'm like, these are pretty political lyrics, but for once they're actually not cringy. Like Todd is a smart dude and he's like kind of calling some motherfuckers out here who need to be called out. And I was like, damn, that's actually like a pretty enlightened, you know, song. And yeah, he does it. it makes me go, I want to sit down and talk to this dude and have a beer with him. Cause like, this is, this is, this is what's up, dude. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. Cause when I first heard it, I was like, Oh, more like metal songs calling out religious hypocrisy. But then, like you said, the more I dug into it, it's like, okay, no, he's, he's really like, he, he's going about it in a clever way. And he's thought about this, you know, also like, honestly, like it's easy for me. Cause sometimes I feel like some of these metal themes are kind of like, a little worn uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like criticizing various you know social constructs and everything but also we live in Washington it's one of the like or in western Washington it's one of the least religious places in Correct. the U.S. and this dude's from Florida and grew up there and so he's around this stuff all the time in a way that we're not um, also I just realized that uh, pretenders of the faith is kind of a play on words 
with the, the <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I missed that <laughs> entirely the first time around. So. Oh, that's cool. Um, no, I mean it's it's, it's not it's not. You know, I had the same thing. I'm I'm on the same boat as you. Like, I mean, I'm kind of like over the whole like smashing like bashing Christianity thing and metal and whatever. It's like, come on, guys. Like we've kind of beat that horse to death, and you know we don't need to be telling other people how to live because that's kind of the opposite ethos of what you're probably intending to do from the beginning. But I think the way that Todd handles this the lyrical content here is very intelligent and it's very nuanced and it's, 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 it's just really cool. I mean, I, 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 I dig it. And um, I was at this point when this, this song hits, I'm like, okay, uh, this might, this song might be really, this album might have something to say here. Mm-hmm. So this is when I I was dogmata, I was skeptical, um, but this song, you know, I, I again a second listen, I was like, all right, this might have something going for me. Um, so then we get on to uh, was it Hellbound and Down? Is that the next yeah. one's called? Um, which is I guess maybe a play on Eastbound and Down, which is a hilarious TV show. I don't know. <laughs> um, but this is a very thrashy song. Yeah, and I was like, it kind of sounds like. Um, newer exodus albums which hmm. i like um a lot of like thrash purists don't like anything that exodus did past bonded by blood and i'm starting to hear like the internet feedback of like how they're like oh bonded by blood wasn't even such a good thrash metal album and i'm like dude you don't know anything that album is amazing that album <laughs> is the best um, but um i mean because but this one has an, it's it's a, it's a, it's got a very anthemic chorus. I wouldn't say this a song really like did a lot for me, but um, it definitely like in the context of a toddler tour solo album, I was like, man, this guy listens. This guy listens to some metal that's not like Queensrÿche, and he's got something mm-hmm. else to say. So I'm I'm interested. I'm going to keep listening. Um, but as a song in itself, it didn't really excite me too much. Yeah, I, I was having trouble kind of coming up with anything particular to say about it. Uh, it it gets on, in and out pretty quickly, and it kind of serves to uh, to to kind of move the energy forward on the album. It kind of keeps things rolling. Um, it's it's it, it's a high energy track. It's a faster track. It gets in and out quickly, um, but it didn't quite have as much to kind of hang my hat on in a journalistic way. Um, but I didn't I didn't mind it. Oh. It definitely isn't. Is it's nothing wrong with it. There's just nothing really to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess is is the is the thing here. Um, so then we get to the next song is "Darkened Majesty," uh, and it's kind of more of the same. Uh, we're on, and now I'm a little bit concerned when I'm listening the first time because I'm like, the first four songs have been pretty fucking similar. Um, it's driving metal. It's got a great groove, um, but again, it's like. Halford solo meets thrash kind of thing. It's heavy. I'm not mad about it, but I'm like, I don't really have anything that's really getting its hooks in me yet. Yeah, going back, I felt the same way the first time, but going back and listening again, I, I think it's it's actually a pretty cool song. It, it uh, is, and I, you know it, what? It, that's cool thing. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It, it's one of those tracks where the um, you get kind of like a, a verse and a pre-chorus and then it goes back to the verse and it kind of stays in that that similar kind of more thrashy groove kind of place but then once it unleashes the chorus it actually that brings in a bit of a different feel 
And this is kind of the first time where he kind of lets his time with Queensryche show a little bit, I think. It's, it's a very Queensryche style, big kind of 80s harmonized chorus you get in the last half of this song. And that definitely uh, stood out and grabbed my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it also, I did like the way that the song kind of evolved from something a little bit more basic into something a little bit more uh, big and melodic at the end of the song. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think this song is a grower and probably for me, I am going to, I'll go so far as to say I am going to keep listening to this record because I think it's really cool. And um, I think his lyrics are interesting um, and slightly political, but not in a problematic way, which is goddamn refreshing um, mm-hmm. <laughs> from anybody in heavy metal. I'm like, here's a guy with a fucking brain. Holy shit. Um, thank you. Um, but I, I, I definitely think like the first four songs in this record are ones that are, might will probably grow on me in time. And I, and I already, I'm not saying I don't like them. I do. But the next song, Crossroads to Insanity, is where I started to pay atten- really pay attention. Um, this is a dark ballad. It's a very traditional heavy metal ballad. Um, there's nothing groundbreaking about it, mm-hmm. but it's really well done. It's a beautiful song. It's the singing is great. Um, he sings in several different voices. Um, yeah, I mean the, perfor- the performances are great, dude. This song is great. I I love it. I think this is a great tune. Yeah, it's a cool song, and it's definitely like I guess I it wasn't hundred percent clear what's going on with the lyrics, but it, it seems to be kind of uh, talking about you know some sort of mental health crisis and how people yes. in that kind of state are treated. And in that sense, it's kind of like you know. We're, Harkening back to like you know welcome home sanitarium and, and some mm-hmm. classic things like that um you know when the voice comes in on on this track it, it is like pure lane staley it's yeah it's there's it's, a it's lot very, of alice and chains worship yeah. in the beginning of this track for sure and it, it he kind of moves on from that and, and gets more into his own style towards the end of the song but that was interesting because this is and it makes me think something that really strikes me about todd latour from this album is he's got a uh remarkable ability to kind of almost imitate some of the great singers of the past and present, but while maintaining the core of his own sound. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I really respect because a lot of the time, if someone's trying to do Lane Staley, for example, they'll just kind of like mimic him while kind of coming off of the, their own voice and their own production. Whereas this, he manages to evoke Dickinson and Halford. We've mentioned that several times and probably will continue to. And Jeff Tate, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in, in this case, Alice in Chains, but it's all fits. It doesn't sound like it's, it doesn't sound like if you didn't know who any of those singers were, it wouldn't sound like a jarring transition between the different yeah. styles. And it's, it's the thing that I like, I don't know. I, I just find this song really well written, really well put together. Again, like I said, it's not, it's not breaking any ground or doing anything crazy, but damn, it's it's catchy. I've I've listened to it several times. Mm-hmm. It got it got in my ear holes, um, and just really, these songs are tough to pull off. Songs like this are very. They take a lot of. I mean, fuck, man. You know, you know, we've tackled ballads before. It, mm-hmm. it definitely takes a certain amount of. Um, it takes a lot of precision, execution, and. Um, melody and, and musicianship to pull these things off so this song gets a lot of respect from me absolutely um yeah and 
But and then I guess we're probably on to what would be side B if this were vinyl, right? This is yep, it would be um, track six, Critical Cynic. Um, this one we're starting to it's starting to get a little more adventurous now that we're in the second half of the album and and kind of especially like yeah, after the ballad, I'm starting to perk up a little bit more at this point. Um, this song seems to be, among other things, a bit of a showcase for drumming. Oh yeah, uh, oh, there's yeah. a lot of um, it's pretty chaotic. Yeah, there's a, and there's a lot of uh, you know toms on this song. It's a very like it's got one of those. Well, that was interesting because that's basically like what drives the verses. I mean, there's there's one tom beat, but it not only drives the ver- the thing that was interesting or weird to me was it not only drives the verses that style of beat drives the entire fucking song. Yeah. Like I kept waiting for there to be, to be a transition to a more ride driven rhythm or a hi-hat driven rhythm, but they kept the same Tom style beat the whole fucking song. Yeah. Yeah. This one had a little bit of an interesting kind of um, almost like exoticism kind of um, it had a little bit more of like a, a almost middle Eastern kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's cool. And this one is, is again, like this is a song that's really calling out uh, people who kind of <laughs> think that essentially watching YouTube videos is, you know, makes them an expert on things. Yeah. And I very... love that dude. I love these, <laughs> I love these fucking lyrics. Like he is just not having any of the bullshit. And I, I appreciate that about him. This is also the first time we really hear his Queensryche voice on this record, on this, like this. Oh, yeah. In this song, he really starts belting it out in his Queensryche voice on this, on, on this song. And yeah, I love these lyrics. And I do, Todd, dude, if, you're, if you listen to this, man, thank you. Like, I just appreciate you for, like, not being an idiot. <laughs> just really, like, having the guts to, like, to call people out on, like, having to, like, listen to science and reality. So thank you. You're awesome. Something else we got in this song a bit is is some actual harsh vocals. Yeah. Um, not not an obtrusive way really, but you know, kind of a little bit in the background, but in a couple a couple in the sort of pre-chorus kind of area, um, we're starting to hear that. Wow, that's something he can do too. Um, so just another entry in the kind of uh, <laughs> the portfolio of different stuff that Todd can do. Yeah, for sure. And then the song does hit like a. It is interesting, like how. You know, Crossroads to Insanity came on and that was a ballad. And this song is like, and then the next song, which is Critical Cynic that we're talking about, is one of the slower songs in the album. So he kind of just is keeping the same, a, a similar vibe going. But this is a very interesting tune and it's there's a lot of creativity here. And I think it's, I think it's really cool. Um, this definitely... Like, the, like you said, the ballad kind of perked me up. I'm like, oh man, this might be something else here. And then this song came on, and it's just—it's very—it's—it's it's a, it's a metal song. It's it's definitely rooted in classic metal, but it, there's a lot of non-traditional elements to it, which I found really interesting. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and it certainly was like by this point, I'm I'm not worried anymore that it's going to be ten tracks that all sound the same. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let me go on to rejoice and suffering, which is. Dude, it's badass. <laughs> this this yeah. next song goes a little more straightforward, anthemic metal. It's got a super catchy chorus, and um, but at this point, I, after the last two songs, that's kind of what I wanted to hear at, at this point, yeah. and I was all about it. And now that I'm, I've kind of like grasping the lyrical theme that he's thrown down, now I'm kind of like, 
ready to like fight for this motherfucker. Yeah, I I really liked this track. This is this is the, where the whole thing kind of really achieved liftoff for me. Um, I think something about the the first riff just has the, it's like pure, you know. And I really perked up when I heard that. Yeah. Um, and then it's just got this great kind of, uh, it's got a great drive to it. If he ever does tour behind this, and uh, if he ever does, you know, play live as a, as a solo artist and band, I, I would want to hear this in the set list because I think this would be a badass live song. Me too. It definitely is. It's it's a sing along. You know, it's a it's a great tune. Um, and the fact that it is the title track. So that's, I mean. I'm glad that like the title track is a statement. Yeah. You know? And I'm not, I, I dig it. Um, yeah. This again, this was, this is, you know, crossroads to insanity into critical cynic. And now this one, now I'm, I'm kind of buying it. You know, like, like I said, this, this album is kind of make me go, okay, there's something, there's something here. It's not just some solo guy, some guy in a famous band kind of putting a solo album out with, you know, pretty generic metal songs. I'm like, this guy's got something to say. Yeah. And the lyrics on this are cool. There's like references to like chess moves and stuff. It's yeah, it's some it's, cool it's stuff. Cool, dude. I, it's a great song. Um, moving on to that one, we come to my personal favorite on the album. Like when I heard when, which is a song called "Vexed." Even though, I mean, the the lyrics are a little silly sometimes. Um, You're damn right, I'm vexed. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> and that that's the part I kind of kind of chuckled, but. This is a really cool, neat, subtle, creative heavy metal tune. Um, we got to we get this nice little acoustic intro that comes in, and then um, a really fucking slick riff, you know, like yeah. hits next. And the vocals really like wrap around and envelop it well. Um, you can tell that this was really well. I think you know Todd wrote this riff and the vocals to go with it, like probably mm-hmm. really quick one after the other um they complement each other so well um these are this is rooted in like 80s queens right i'm yeah. like damn this sounds like a song from operation Mindcrime. yeah um, but a more modern text uh, in a more modern context um like i said the lyrics are a little silly but i don't really care but i like his message in the lyrics so i'm not mad that they're kind of like goddamn random x doesn't bother right. me too much because I'm vexed about the same shit that you are vexed about, Todd. Yeah. So I relate to what you're saying. And this song is super fucking cool. It's, it's fun. It's thoughtful. Um, it's so fucking well-written. It's a cool riff. I was like, damn, dude, this, this, this is probably, for me at this point, the highlight of the record. I really like that even just grabbing the word vexed as a title, uh, to me, it kind of shows something that you can see at a few points in this album, which is that he just likes words that sound cool. And yeah. that's actually a really good quality in a vocalist. Certainly. Like someone who's going to find interesting words that just kind of sound cool on its own. And it, it kind of made me laugh a little bit because vexed, on one hand, yeah, it sounds so metal because it's got the X in it, vexed. It's actually really fun to sing. But it, I guess I just kind of associate it with like, it's kind of like an old school word. It makes me think of like, I don't know, Jane Austen or something like, oh, our carriage broke the wheel and we had to walk back to our estate and it was very vexing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, vexing is a lot less metal sounding, I guess. Yeah. 
but but he really i like that you know you take something that's just a simple word in the english language that doesn't necessarily have a history in heavy metal and then he takes it and makes it his own and makes it metal and i think that's great yeah i i, I love this song i think it was cool despite like a little bit of some silly lyrical moments but that's fine um it reminded me a lot of the queen strike that i love mm-hmm. and i hope that he can bring some of the if queen if he does another album with queen strike i don't know what his plans are or what that band's plans are but if he does another one of them i hope that they do some more shit like this because it definitely had a mind crime vibe to it it's, um, it's got like part of what's great about queen's reich is that you've got all these progressive elements in terms of how the riffs are written and kind of you know what the how everything fits together but it's it's packaged in a compact way and i really like that because it's not it gets in and gets out it's got sections that return it's structurally it's a not it's not a complicated thing it's a fairly simple metal song but each of the individual parts is actually really complex and interesting and that's that's one of the things i like about Queensryche, and that's it's something that really works with this song too yeah i agree so then we go from here we go to vanguards of the dawn wall which i was like i heard this and i was like holy shit what is this a testament album yeah it was what was my main thing i was like damn this is like wall busting thrash this is like a mosh pit raging fucking thrash metal song like you can see a pit going to this motherfucker this song absolutely fucking rules i love this song yeah this is one of my favorite songs on them me too i was like and and it kind of comes along right at the right time um because vex is a little more you know mathy and Mm-hmm. a little more tricky and this is straight up metal and this is thrash metal this is like thrash dude like straight up um yeah. this is this song has great gang vocals in it too um it does which i was that, really stoked on and it's the the chorus is catchy and like this is just a crowd pleasing damn i was like man testament wishes they wrote this one good for you todd fuck man holy yeah. shit He's got the, this is one where he's doing the, the absolute painkiller style Halford thing. Yeah. Just like he's got that high note and he's just cruising on it. Um, and, and then there's the gang vocals to go with it. And, and I like the fact that the chorus is just like the, the title of the song over and over again. And it's once again, like I, this is something that I don't know what Vanguards of the Dawn Wall even means. No I, idea. If it's a reference to something, I have no idea, but it just sounds fucking cool. It's just like, <laughs> It's just exactly. a cool assortment of letters and words, and it's just fun to say. It's fun to sing along in the car. Just I was driving earlier today, just driving along like Vanguards of the Dawn Wall, yeah, yeah, dude, you know? straight up. And, <laughs> and that's the thing is it, it, that's what I think. I get the feeling that's what it's all about. It's all about fun and you know letting some energy out. And I, I'm all about it, man. This song, I was shocked that this song was on this record. I didn't yeah. know when I. First, when we talked about doing it like a week or so ago, I was like, you know, I'm going to listen to a Todd the Tour album. I did not hear, expect to hear this kind of thrash metal on this album. And I was, I haven't heard this kind of thrash metal in from anyone yeah. in a long ass time. Apart from Testament, who are, the, in my opinion, are kind of the only ones who are really still doing the genre justice. Because thrash metal, hey, thrash metal bands, I'm sorry, but your genre's gotten kind of boring. <laughs> These dudes are like, dude, Todd the Tour just out thrash all you motherfuckers. 
This shit is fucking crazy. Don't believe me? Listen to it. Vanguards of the Dawn. Listen it's, to it. Yeah, and it's badass. Uh, it is surprising because in general, I think when you hear solo album, you're expecting to hear something that's probably not as heavy as whatever that artist's material is with a band. Right. Um, and, and so that was a nice surprise. I also, when I first saw this song title, I guess I'm so used to seeing your name like you know, on Facebook or like in my text or whatever. I was like, oh, Vanguards of the Darren Wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could use a Vanguard. I mean, people could stay the fuck away from me. That'd be nice. Yeah. Just use a bunch of like motherfuckers in a formation <laughs> to like get out of my way when I'm going to the grocery store. I, I, I'm down with that. That will work for me. And yeah, next time you're listening to the song, you can just kind of hear it in your head. Vanguards of the Darren Wall. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So let me go from Vanguards of the Dawn Wall, which is amazing, to the song Apology, which is like, damn, this was a, it, this was a cool, interesting um, closer that I didn't see coming at all. Yeah. Um, it's a very weird song. It's a very cool song. Um, the intro is very atmospheric. And then it kind of like hits this chugging mid-paced riff with a lot of pinch harmonics. And I'm like, is that Zach Wilde playing that? <laughs> um, and there's lots of out, there's mad also change vibes on the song. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, holy fuck. Like, and the ending is like, you know, the ending is super fucking cool. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, w I was like, this is kind of a, I didn't know what to make of it at first. I remember like listening to it the first time and being like, I got to rewind that. And I wasn't quite caught by how actually fucking brilliant the song is until two or three listens. This is an amazing tip. It's really fucking cool. It's, it's epic. It's got that. Uh, it, it's a great album closer because it's, it's somewhere kind of between a ballad and a mid paced rocker. Uh, but it's got, it's got some cool keyboards on it too. Um, with some interesting sounds that you wouldn't necessarily expect to hear in that. It's almost like the uh, kind of like the winds tune, almost more like flute kind of sounds in the background, but with the heavy riff and that's a cool vibe. Um, and then after the, the intro um, where you know, the melody of the intro is like really, um, it, it really reminds me of, I think it's the song between two hearts from lock up the wolves oh yeah 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 it's like Dude. you know Man. good call yeah yeah even using the word stranger in that context because dio loves that word yes <laughs> so I, but it wasn't like a ripoff i kind of felt it as an homage um and then yeah the, it once the riff kicks in and then there's a big like kind of deep growl that he throws in there mm. um with this with the riff with the pinch harmonics and something and and, and uh i was stoked you know as a big opeth fan i'm like man i love that kind of stuff like a slow riff with like a big intense growl behind it it was not what i expected but i was very pleased yeah i i was surprised by that too i mean it, it's a, it's it's a very modern sounding song um I don't know. This it was just like a song that left me a little bit perplexed in a good way. Yeah. It, it kind of left me hearkening back to music I listened to like in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Kind of before I got old and jaded. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it reminded me of like why I liked a lot of it. Um, this 
Yeah, this is just a great closer. Um, it feels really personal. I don't know what he's singing about, mm-hmm. but it feels like it's very real and kind of raw and emotional. And, and I, I thought I thought it was fucking great. Um, you can really like feel this song, and I really like that. Totally, it's very visceral. And I was, I dude, I don't, know. I just, I guess I just didn't see it coming. And especially, especially like again, we're we're kind of. I want to focus again on how much I feel the last half of this album is different from the first half. Mm-hmm. I feel like the last half of this album is infinitely better than the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, the first, and the, I'm not saying the first half is bad. It's very heavy. It's very chugging and and raw and kick ass. But like, it, I feel like the actual interesting stuff comes the second half of the song of, of this album yeah and by interesting i don't mean he start like he starts playing seven eight jazz songs or something i mean like he start like you just start to feel like it's a little more personal like the lyrics get a little more clear about what he's talking about and the songwriting gets a little more varied and it just becomes a more interesting listen music yeah and there's yeah there's definitely a, each song has a really distinctive character um it's one of those things where you know, if, if you're interested in checking out this album out and you don't have a lot of time or you've only got 20 minutes to listen, I'd say don't start at the beginning. Start at Rejoice in the Suffering and listen to the last four tracks. I and totally agree. 100% one of the best agree. EPs you'll ever hear. You know? I 100% agree with you. And, you know, the other songs will grow on you. I totally believe that, like, in a couple months with this song being added, with this album being added to my iTunes, like the first out few tunes will probably start sitting a little better with me and we're we're not saying they're bad they're just like the second half of this album was where the brilliance starts to show yeah and todd is clearly a brilliant fucking musician at at this point and that's the cool thing about this record is that we kind of start to see more of him show in the Mm -hmm. second half um of course then i don't know did you get the one with the bonus tracks I did not listen to the bonus tracks just because um, I wanted so to. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give my synopsis of the bonus tracks really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, just for you. Um, the, there's two bonus tracks. One was called Fractured. There's three bonus tracks overall. The, one was, the first one was called Fractured. The second one was called Set It Off. And my first comments on this one were, glad this is a bonus track. And it was like, both of them were like pretty cool grooves, um, solid riffs, but they're very new metal. And I can see why. They didn't quite make the record. It was a good call, calling them bonus tracks. Um, Speaking of new metal, wasn't "Set It Off" a POD song? Probably. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. <laughs> so I mean, like, it was, I can see why these songs didn't make the record. But the third song, which is called "One by One," um, probably needs. I mean, my old band did one called "One by One," and Moral did one called "One by One." It's one of those song titles probably overused. But this song. Um, is amazing. Dude, check this, listen to this song one by one. What's you it like? I really like it. Um, it's almost an instrumental for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very experimental. It borders on extreme metal for most of it. There's like, ex- there's crazy drumming with like blast beats and the whole fucking nine and extreme vocals for like the first third of it. Like mm. Todd's like growling and like grumbling and shit. And he's like, there's blast beats going off. And then it, it like, just takes off in the middle part with like this crazy riff. It's like one of the best thrash riffs I've heard in the last 20 years. It just goes fucking nuts. 
and then they have this crazy part, then they go back to the fucking chaos and like the extreme metal part. Then they have like an acoustic outro to this song. Like, I have a feeling that the only reason that this song didn't make the main song like list is that it's a little too experimental for the album. Like, it's just the the riffs are all over the place. They really are. But I like it. I'm super glad that it came off as a bonus track. I wish they'd have tried to maybe massage it into like the album a little bit more. But um, yeah, hell worth listening to. Listen to the. Forget the first two, check out one by one. Cool, I definitely will. That sounds right up my alley. But yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, dude, Todd Latour, if you somehow are listening to this podcast, man, dude, great job. Like, this was this is a wicked solo album. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, that I thought it was as rad as I did. I thought I was going to be like, well, it'll be a solo album by a singer, but you know, and it kind of was that for the first half, if I'm being real, mm-hmm. but the second half of that album showed like a lot of that. He showed a lot of diversity. Um, I really respect the fact that he played drums and did some guitar, did some singing on it. Um, it really feels like a solo album. It doesn't feel like he paid a band to play some albums. And then that was, became the Tallator solo album. Like, Fucking much respect for this effort. I'm going to keep listening to it. 100% recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely like caught my attention to the point where if he puts out another solo album, I'm going to be right on it. Um, especially because it seems like with solo albums, uh, oftentimes the first one is a little bit experimental and like trying on different things and kind of finding uh, the artists kind of finding their legs you know, and uh, oftentimes the more interesting solo material comes a little later once they like have kind of established that they can do it and then they come out with something really focused. Um, because, you know, this album, it, we, we've said a bunch of times that it's very diverse. Um, but uh, I think it'd be interesting to hear what he might do um, with like a concept album, for example, because that's something where I think a lot of times solo artist concept albums can work very well because it gives you something to kind of hang your hat on as a listener. Um, you know, when you're listening to a band, all of that band's kind of brand, if that makes sense, kind of informs how you're going to hear it, you know, because you know what 100%, kind of, dude. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're going to, you, you know, what kinds of stories the band's going to tell you kind of know what the interplay of the different musicians is going to do. Um, you know, what kind of imagery they employ in their, in their music and everything. But it's a little different with a solo album because a solo album is, uh, you know, it's just somebody's name. It's just their literal name. And then that means they can go in a bunch of different directions with it. And sometimes it really works when they give you something to, uh, to build on with that. So um, like I wanted to, um, it's an album I don't have for my album of the week this week. I wanted to talk about one of Steven Wilson's albums, the guy from Porcupine Tree. Um, and more of a prog album than a metal album, really, but it, it's one of the solo albums I think that works the best. He took this album and uh, he, he basically did a concept album about a woman in London who was found dead in her apartment. And she had been dead for three years. And it's kind of an exploration of like, what would have to happen in somebody's life for them to be so isolated that, um, that uh, 
that would happen. They'd die well, I guess I guess we get into like, I'll get into that a bit when we get to our yeah we can, topic, we can get into our topic. solo albums. Yeah, <laughs> my um, point was just that uh, that that when you've got a clear idea of of what kind of story you want to tell, what your theme is as a solo artist, sometimes for me at least that's what really grabs you. So I think if if Todd does something like that. Uh, in his second or third solo album, it could really be a, a classic. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. And you know what? Hey, Todd, thank you for the solo record. Thank you for this album. Um, we, I guess, are unanimously recommending it, saying, hey, the new to- Todd Latour solo album, uh, Rejoice in the Suffering, pick it up. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing bad on this record for sure. Like, it, it, it's a little of a slow start, but some of the stuff on the second half is like, that's the, some of the coolest shit I've heard this year for sure. It's a worthy buy. And you know what? I, it's, is it album of the year? Hell no. But is it fucking one of the albums of the year? Hell yeah. Yeah. So, like, Todd, Todd did a great job. So, hell yeah, pick it up. All right. Well, now we're going to move on to seg- the next segment, which is our picks of the week. And I will go first. Um, this album is by the band called Hellfire. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hellfire, one of my uh, favorite, I guess they get, they're one of the bands that get lumps into the new wave of traditional heavy metal, but um, they've been a favorite of mine for quite a while. Um, Hellfire, were, are they're a band from Oakland in California. Um, they formed in 2010 and they've done three full lengths. Um, this one I'm talking about, which is called Free Again. I'm going to hold it up again. This is Free Again. This is their album in 2017, which was when um, I first joined a band called Skeletor and we were touring. And the first time I saw Hellfire was at Frost and Fire 2017. And uh, speaking candidly, um, there was a lot of bands that I did not care for at Frost and Fire. Who There's a lot of bands in the new wave of traditional metal, heavy, new wave of traditional heavy metal who I feel kind of make fun of metal in a way. Like they kind of like, it's more of a comedy act than it is genuine. Um, Hellfire was one of the bands who I saw who I thought was really genuine and really awesome. Um, I thought they had their own take on classic heavy metal. And I thought the musicianship was top shelf and the songwriting was top shelf. So I bought this record at Frost and Fire at their merch table because I was like, damn, I need to get that. I need to support these motherfuckers because they are badass. Um, they're fronted by uh, dude. I got like they, these guys are so talented. They really are. Uh, Jake Nunn, their frontman, frontman slash guitar player. I mean, the fact that he can play the guitar and sing as well as he can is very remarkable. Um, and also on that tour with Skeletor, we played with him in Frost and Fire. Then we played with him again in Sacramento. And there's probably another date in there that I don't really remember. I count things being a little blurry. Um, But damn, dude. Um, But the thing for me as a bass player that makes me love this band is uh, Herman Bandala, the bass player. That dude. Herman, dude, you're the fucking man. I love you. You're the best. Like, he, he knows how I feel about his bass playing. He's a fucking great guy. And Dude, his bass playing is phenomenal. He's one of the best bass players I've seen in our, like, kind of circle of bands that I've, in a long time. And when I got this record on on tour and I brought it home, um, it's interesting. I'm not a big, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big, Rev, you know me, I'm a bit of a car guy. I'm a bit of a gearhead, but I'm not, like, totally 
obsessed with like NASCAR or anything, but I watched Formula One as a kid because my dad watched Formula One racing. And they have a song called Wheels of Fate, which is about um, a, a famous driver named Ayrton Senna who died in 94. He was beating the San Marino Grand Prix and he crashed his car when he was in the lead of that race and um, he died like during the race. And the song, I believe, is about him. Like, I, unless, cool. unless I'm way off base, which I don't think I am, um, I believe it's about him. Um, that's one of the highlights for me. And I was just like, damn, dude, they wrote a fucking Formula One melt song. That's so fucking cool. And um, the other one highlight for me is the end track. It's called End of Days. And it's like a um, really, it's, it's, it's a longer track. It's about seven, eight minutes long. And it's got an acoustic passage to it. And it just kind of like, you know, the most of this album is really fist pumping, um, heavy metal, uh, really riff based, you know, heavy metal rooted in hard rock. But this one is kind of a little more progressive. It's got an acoustic thing. It's very emotional. And uh, I think it was, a, it was a cool display that Hellfire is a little bit more than um, just your traditional, um, you know, classic new wave or traditional heavy metal band. Um, this band has three full lengths to their credit. They're still doing it. They're signed to Riding Easy Records, which is one of my favorite record labels, man. Riding Easy puts out so much cool fucking music. Like, they might be actually my favorite record label. Mm-hmm. Um, they put out lots of doom, lots of traditional metal, lots of stoner rock, lots of death metal. Like, they kind of just put out whatever they think is rad and, you know, Riding Easy kicks ass. So uh, I'm super stoked to see Hellfire on, on this label and i got all their other albums on vinyl too this is seriously one of my favorite album one of my favorite bands of um the new wave of traditional heavy metal so hellfire free again get the record what you got rev yeah hell yeah man hellfire is great i uh seen them play twice i think now uh once with uh with you guys in skeletor at the fun house and then uh once yep. when they opened for death angel and ex mortis uh, which is one of the last like big shows I actually went to before the pandemic. But uh, yep, I remember yeah, well. They they impressed me both times, and um, and uh, I guess I'm more familiar with their latest album Mania, which is also really good. Mania is a great uh, record. Also recommended. Yeah. Um, all right. So for my album today, uh, again, I couldn't quite get the 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 solo albums I wanted to talk about in hand. Um, in, on vinyl, but I dug kind of deep into my old favorites and uh, an album some people might know is the self-titled album by Winter Sun from 2004. Great record. Yeah. Great record. And um, it, I thought of it because, well, for one thing, it's just one of my favorite albums of all time. It, 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 it really opened my mind to a lot of new shit um, when I was like 15. Uh, because I'd been listening, you know, for a while to new metal, and then I was getting into t- to death metal and progressive death metal and stuff and whatnot. But this was the album that kind of introduced me to how cool shredding can be. I didn't really kind of understand how awesome the like treble part of the guitar <laughs> could be until I heard this album. Because the guitar solos are just awesome, the riffs are awesome. It's it's like almost every genre of metal kind of blended into this really epic intensely personal kind of um uh, mix and um it's technically a solo album and it's what made me think of it because it's um 
I mean, even though it's under the name Winter Sun, this was a, his kind of solo project after uh, the first two albums that he did with Insiferum, um, which are, I like those. For, I'm, not, I'm not a huge Insiferum fan, but those first two albums are really cool. Um, but you can even see here on this, this great album cover uh, by the famous Necrolord who did Storm of the Lightsbane and a ton of classic black metal album covers. You can even see here, it's got Yari Mainpa. You got Yari's name on the cover because it was kind of his solo album. It's one of those where he does everything, plays bass, plays guitar, keyboards and everything. And then he's got Kai Hato uh, playing drums. Um, and there's a newer version of this album you can get now that's... Um, that has a slightly different track order and an intro and everything, which I think is what Yari initially had in mind. But the, the original version of this album has something kind of interesting going on where each track is longer than the last, which makes for a kind of a cool listening experience because the first song, Beyond the Dark Sun, is like two and a half minutes long. It's just this really quick in and out, but it's like the most epic two and a half minutes you'll ever hear. And then you get kind of, I think, Winter Madness. The next track is like four and a half minutes. And it kind of gradually builds up and the songs get more and more epic until the last track is like a 10 and a half minute song. And I really like the variety of that and the way it kind of like unfolds gradually. And I haven't really heard anything quite like that in, in kind of the progressive metal world. Uh, that kind of format really captured my imagination. It's just, there's so much cool stuff on this album. It's uh, really inspired my so songwriting in a lot of ways because it's clearly very personal and kind of internal in terms of the themes. It's very much about like emotions and thoughts and dreams and things like that. But it's also kind of played out in this really cosmic way, um, which really captured my imagination uh, when I first heard it. Still does every time I listen to this album. Yari Minpa is just kind of a genius. You can see him here with his freaking Fender Telecaster. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's like he's nice. playing with with Bruce Springsteen's guitar, you know? Um, oh, yeah. and, and since then, Winter Sun has kind of struggled, I think. They, they were supposed to release this epic follow-up to this called Time that was going to be this, you know, double album kind of thing. But they still haven't released the whole thing. I think there's a lot of kind of perfectionism going on in this guy's brain. Um, and Winter Sun has expanded now. There's a band with four members. It's not just him. So it's kind of interesting that it kind of did start as a solo project, but kind of did expand to become its own band. Um, but this is a band that like, clearly they need somebody like you, Darren, to kind of just be like, <laughs> all right, it's ready. Just put it, just go, just go. Because they just can't quite seem to like produce material at the, at the rate that they would need to, to kind of like stay relevant <laughs> as right. much as it kind of hurts to say because i like the band a lot um but um but that's it. so it's a little harder to stand behind it the follow-up to this was was an album called time one that was really like an ep kind of the first half of the epic album they were supposed to put out but they never put out the second half and then they put out a record called the forest seasons which is really cool but not it, it somehow still sounds more like a generic progressive metal album doesn't quite manage to hit the unique brilliance of this album but uh, i definitely can't recommend it enough really no matter what genre of metal or music you're into because it's just got so much going on there's all these cool keyboard aspects there's folk melodies there's um 
shredding. There's elements of traditional metal. Some of the first elements of traditional metal I heard that I really got into. It's got elements of death metal. It's got, the vocals are kind of an interesting hybrid. Like he does harsh vocals. He does singing. He does kind of the interesting hybrid kind of pitched harsh vocals. Um, so much diversity, so much cool shit. Definitely. Um, yeah. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, I think that the, probably the track battle against time the middle of the album, there's Battle Against Time, Death and the Healing, which is a kind of ballad, and then Star Child. Those are probably the, the, the peak songs on this album. If you wanted to just grab one and listen to it, probably Battle Against Time would be the way to go. Um, so yeah, Winter Sun, self-titled album. Um, certainly one of my favorites of all time. And um, you know, if you ever need something to listen to on LSD on the winter solstice, um, <laughs> This one works. So I've heard, you know, not, not that I would know or anything. So, um, yeah, I figured it would be interesting to kind of talk since we've already been talking a little bit to expand on some of these themes of, um, you know, what happens when an artist goes solo and, and what do we expect as listeners? Um, how does the metal community react when someone puts out a solo album? Um, because it's really like, so much of rock and roll music and heavy metal music is built around the paradigm of the band, you know, that there's a band identity that's kind of this meta identity that transcends any of the individual members. Yeah. Um, and that can be kind of a, um, it can be kind of a blessing and a curse, you know, like uh, it can really like enable people to, you know, to, a band can be more than the sum of its parts. You know, but it also sometimes when people come to expect certain things from a band, then members are going to potentially feel kind of bound to make music in a certain way. Um, and so when someone goes solo, it's kind of like they enter a different paradigm entirely. It's a little bit, and like we could, you know, we can tell with, the, with this Todd Latour album, like it, it can be just as heavy, it can be just as epic. It, can even you know have the same number of people playing on it, but there there is something that's a little bit different in terms of, I think the attitude and expectations that goes into to making a solo album, um, and I thought it would be interesting to talk about that because I think that uh, there's probably some I don't know I feel like there's some kind of unspoken expectations of what's going to happen when you listen to a certain album and there's probably some solo albums that people have missed out on because they kind of think that they don't like solo albums or albums in some cases albums by bands that maybe people don't listen to as much because they tend to think more in terms of solo artists and that's something i've noticed kind of talking to people in different genres um for example jazz musicians are so um they're very much like the, the paradigm is solo artists, you know? And, you know, if you put out an, a jazz album as a solo artist, you might have a bunch of other high powered solo artists playing on it, but it's like your album. And it's kind of the, the individual presence is kind of what's guiding the creativity in a way that's very different in metal where it tends to be guided by a kind of group story. Um, Anyway, so I'm, I'm rambling, but what do you think about all that, Darren? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, dude, Winter Sun is fucking great. I mean, they're, 
They're like in, in a lot of ways like one of the fucking most controversial bands in metal. I mean, when they had the whole time thing coming out, it took. I mean, when is this thing going to come out? When is it not? But I guess in the same breath, um, it, it's almost brilliant marketing in a way. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, um, and they are an amazing band, and so I guess kind of leads us to our next topic, which is like solo records or side projects or something. I guess anything creative this other otherwise than your main band uh and how do we how, how how are those things perceived how are they registered how are they done and it's a very interesting um it encompasses so many different ideals about heavy metal yeah and about music because um fuck man like even for a band like releasing their own record it like um you know, it's 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 difficult. Um, God damn, it's really difficult for them like to make an album that's like not the same but different. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. when you when when that album comes out, you expect like the next logical, brilliant, perfect progression from that band that you wanted to have. Like, ex- please explore a few different things, but not too many, sir, because. I want you to like be different, but exactly the same and make me feel like I did about your first album, the first time I heard it. And it's like, okay, no problem. Let's just yeah, take right. care of that for you. Right. That's easy. Um, so I, I definitely like understand when artists want to branch out, do a side project, do a solo record. Um, the two that immediately come to mind are like Bruce Dickinson comes to mind. Uh, Dio comes to mind. I mean, those are two of the guys. I mean, Dio is a guy who just kind of like, I mean, I guess that's not a side project. That's kind of like Dio said, I'm just making my own fucking band, you know. But Bruce did, Halford did it. Um, Halford's Resurrection album for me in the year 2000 was such an important album Mm -hmm. for me. I, I heard that and I was like, holy shit, that's unbelievable. Like, I, I, I was all about it. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was a big thing for me. Um, and then you get like, you know, it doesn't always have to be a singer. I mean, sometimes it's a side project, like our favorite, our favorite, uh, clown, John Schaefer had the Demons and Wizards side project with Hansi Kirsch, which however you feel about John Schaefer and his dorking around on the Capitol building, Demons and Wizards is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Especially well, the first album. It's, I guess that's, that's kind of a super group, which is, which is interesting because that's almost like multiple artists going solo together at the same time. Yeah. And then I, I'm trying to think of like other, other albums where like, what, I mean, Jeff, God damn, have you ever heard Jeff Tate's solo album from like 2000? Oh, <laughs> it's like a Britney Spears record. Dude, it's amazing. <laughs> How so? It's so Just synthetic, so synthy, uh, poppy, weird. It was funny as hell. I mean, I thought it was one of the funniest things I ever. I own it. I own it on CD. It's hilarious. So, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing when somebody wants to branch out. Because I mean, obviously, when someone wants to branch out, I guess there could be a couple different motivating factors in that. There could be, I have something I need to express creatively, creatively, or I'm looking to try to do something more. And. Right. Um, it could be one of the two things. And if, if somebody occasion, has 
Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, or occasionally because they got fired. That's also true. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. like you know, like Ozzy, you know. Yeah, exactly. Ozzy Osbourne got fired, and um, objectively went on to a much more successful, commercially successful career than Black Sabbath ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I'm much more of a fan of Black Sabbath's music, um, Ozzy had incredible commercial success. Um, I, again, like we talked about the other beat, could be largely attributed to Sharon Osbourne's business savvy. Right. And having, if she wasn't around, he probably would just have wound up dead in a ditch. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the solo record. So you got, you know, it's, let, let, let's experience, let's hypothetical this thing. Let's say, okay, you're in X metal band, whatever it is. You got something else you want to say. So you're going to put out the Darren Wall solo record or the Revere Taylor solo record, you know. Um, that becomes, I think, the, 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 the question there from a metal fan's perspective is why? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to hear this? You know, why is this either more interesting to me than the band you were in or why should I give a shit? in general um and i've heard i've definitely heard it go both ways um rob halford's first like i said rob halford's first solo album resurrection i was like damn right dude but also like halford had been on a jesus priest for i don't know how long at that point like seven years probably Mm -hmm. you know at at least six um he had that two the band two they look industrial metal Mm -hmm. the time he did the fight thing in the 90s um, fight was cool i thought a lot of my friends don't like it i think fight's cool as hell um but yeah then then he comes out with resurrection and it's like whew, like at that point no one was doing metal like that no one was just doing that pure american like down picked fucking mm-hmm. badass biker metal and halford comes out doing that like not only doing it but doing it really really well mm-hmm. um so I feel like that one was just really well timed on his part. Um, it's interesting, like listening to Todd, hearing Todd's solo album in this context. Like, I mean, I guess when I listen to this one, like he's doing so well with Queensryche, and Queensryche is all of a sudden regaining like a lot of their credibility when it comes to um, newer music and heavier music that you gotta like look at. And you go, why, why are you doing this, Todd? But he really shows, I guess he really showed a lot of diversity. And maybe that's a thing for a lot of singers. They want to show that they, or, or musicians, they want to show other sides of their personality. Yeah, I mean, in this particular case, I mean, Todd might, it may just be an opportunity thing with the pandemic and everything. He may just be like, well, now it's time to do it. Because, I mean, I I was kind of planning to go see Queensryche at one point. They were supposed to play at the Moor in Seattle, I think this year and I, or back in 2020 and I was going to go, but you know, obviously that didn't happen. And um, you know, so they're sitting around with extra time on their hands. And, and we've talked a little bit about uh, earlier in the episode about why he might've wanted to do that and kind of make his own name for himself. Um, but mentioning Ozzy, I think something that Ozzy's solo career really illustrates is the importance of, even if you're going solo, you've got to find the right people to keep around you and to work. 100%. And yeah. that's what can really make or break that kind of project. And I think, <laughs> I think Ozzy as well. Sure. Yeah. Do as well. Absolutely. Um, 
yeah, because like without Vivian Campbell, without Randy Rhodes, without Jake Lee, like what what would those bands have been? You oh, know, exactly. um, and I think I think in the case of Ozzy, and, and and maybe I just kind of like to pick on Ozzy a little bit, even though I do like him, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's the, all the more obvious with Ozzy that he wouldn't make it on his own. <laughs> um, fair, fair. Because I mean, you're right. I mean, because because Ozzy is an interesting case where he has a very distinct voice, mm-hmm. but you know that's and that's kind of his whole thing. It's like when he opens his mouth, you know it's him. But he's not an exceptional singer from a virtuosic standpoint, and like from a songwriting standpoint, what we've learned from his years of Sabbath is he's not the greatest songwriter. He he can do great things because he is very like especially as Priest is very charismatic. He has a great stage persona. He does have a unique voice. No one sounds like him. Um, but he needs other people around him to make that happen for him. Yeah. And, and whereas Dio probably like, I mean, Dio didn't have the band. Like Ozzy's band is way better than Dio's band. I'm not, I'm not shitting on Jimmy or uh, Vinny or any of those guys, but like, None of those guys were Randy Rose or Bob Daisley or any of those guys. Like Ozzy's solo band was fucking amazing. Yeah. And um, so it just kind of, I guess, but yeah, you're right. I mean, like even Halford's solo band was, you know, the Roy Z band, but they had Metal Mike and they had, you know, Pat Lackman and they had Bobby Jaromzak on drums. And Bobby Jaromzak is like one of the most, little known but amazing drummers of the last 25 years he's incredible um so i guess in the in, in that it does tend to come down to finding the right personnel but it also makes todd's album more impressive because it's two dudes yeah you know he, he certainly had some people producing and some other like i think one dude like did a keyboard solo and a couple one guy did a couple of guitar parts but like it's a truly, it truly is a solo album, which is cool as hell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like the Winter Sun album, just two guys, you know, it's grown mm. to be more than that since, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, I guess something about the metal world too, is that it's very rare for someone to make their name initially as a solo artist. It's, that almost yes. never happens. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I'm hard pressed to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shit. I don't think there is one. But being real, I mean, maybe like Marilyn Manson. But that's kind of like a character more than yeah. It is, it is kind of a character. Yeah. And is that even metal? I don't know. I mean, I fucking yeah. Hate, I know. I fucking hate um, Marilyn Manson. On I too do every too. level. So I can't. I, I, I can't speak to that. Ass. I am <laughs> with you. He's a dick. I never liked it. And his music sucks. It really so, does. Like, I mean, Alice Cooper. Is that one? Mean, sure. Yeah, all right, that counts, yeah. I think. Also, kind of a character, right? Like, kind of a character. I mean, yeah, I, I, I have actually met him off stage, and he's the nicest guy in the fucking world. Right. So, which does not fit his onstage character. Um, but well, it's also you know, from an from an earlier era too. It is. It is, and hard to say, hard to call it metal. But I mean, I guess that would be the closest to an example I can think of. In heavy yeah. metal, um, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not stretching anything. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's hard to imagine someone showing up on the on the scene like, "Here I am, 
I'm John I'm... Smith and here's my album, you know, <laughs> and having anyone give it a shit. Yeah, it's true, man. It's like, usually it's like, if, if you're John Smith from Deep Purple, then maybe we care. Yeah. But um, if you're just John Smith, I mean, do we care? Probably not. Right. So, that's interesting. And, you know, the one thing, it's interesting that, like, drummers never have solo albums, even if they're really good. Yeah. They just don't. And I would just, I mean, I'm not saying this is a slight to drummers. I just find it strange because I love writing music with drummers. Yeah. So, but like, I, I'll only, the only drummer solo album I can viscerally recall at the moment is uh, the Nick Menza solo album. Nick Menza was a drummer for Megadeth in the, mm. in the late eighties and early nineties. He did a solo album and it was one of the most atrocious things I ever <laughs> heard in my life. It's terrible. And, you know, Nick tragically passed away not too, not super long ago. You know, rest in peace, brother. Like, that sucks. But, um, god damn, that solo album just stinks. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, um, I mean, I guess if you asked Todd, and by the way, I think it's it's great we're on a first-name basis with him, Todd. Yeah, we are. Hey, Todd, what's up, <laughs> But if you ask Todd, he might say, well, you just listened to a solo he album might. by a drummer. You no, know, that's true. That's actually true. I mean considering he does consider himself a drummer etc cetera, etc cetera. well hey maybe maybe that's a thing um so i could be completely off base there but i mean to be fair i i, I see your point like he's not known as a drummer so it, it no. most people he's are a drummer it. who can sing and it's yeah. like you know if, if if we're being perfectly clear like if todd latour couldn't sing the way he does and be as versatile as, as he was on that record it really wouldn't work yeah, I mean, it was just it was a very generic voice. I mean, if that's true of any record, I guess if, if it's a very generic voice, it's not going to work. But um, yeah, I don't know. The solo record is a very interesting thing. I mean, it was interesting that like Rob Halford managed to. I mean, when when metal was where it was in the late nineties, which was as far as any kind of real exposure over here, really not active. And new metal was really big, and you know, Limp Bizkit had the Family Values tour, and that was kind of like taken over as the bigger metal show. And even like Ozfest, I mean, the Ozfest I went to, dude, was like Slipknot and System of a Down and Deftones and Head P and um, Fear Factory and a lot of new metal. Um, that was what was up back then, and then. And 2000 comes around, and then Halford comes out with Resurrection, and Iron Maiden hits a Brave New World. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of us are like, holy shit, dude, like, this is the real deal. Like, this is what we've been wanting, you know? And it didn't even seem like it, neither one of those records seemed like they were throwbacks. Um, Brave New World didn't feel like a throwback. Resurrection didn't feel like a throwback album. It felt like it was a year 2000 album that was rooted in classic metal. And dude, we were all about it, all about it. And that's kind of like why I like this Tom Latour album. I believe that there's probably some guys who are gonna latch onto it. I don't think people are as deprived for metal as we were in 2000. We were fucking begging for it. Like when those albums came out, we were like, hell yeah. yeah. And like something is something like, you know like something that didn't sound like that we were like, really yeah like 
That sounds like motorcycles ripping out of a fucking cave to like go conquer the fucking planet. That's what we wanted to hear. But um, yeah, I mean, but in the, in the, we'll talk about like what are the more interesting ones? Are you know, do you know the story of the Kiss solo albums? I don't really know. So like basically the band was not seeing eye to eye to eye to eye in like 1976 or whatever the fuck it was. They're on top of the world. I mean, Kiss albums were shipping platinum in the right. 70s. They were platinum before they left the fucking press, which is crazy. If you think about like the record buying culture in the 70s, we're just buying albums. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many pre-orders for the album that was platinum when it all left, which is crazy. Um, so they were not getting along. So they basically decided that instead of one album, each member would do a solo record. Oh, yeah. I have heard Not a good that. idea. <laughs> I mean, it kind of exposed a lot of things. It basically showed that, like, Ace Frehley was the coolest guy in the band. Because his album rules. I mean, the Ace Frehley solo, solo album is cool as shit. And it's there's a lot of, like, really classic songs on it. He did a couple covers. He did a cool album. The... It, it basically has all the the fun. The solo albums, generally speaking, are supposed to be fun. Yeah, they're supposed to be a little bit lighthearted, not so serious. And Ace's solo album had that. The rest of them stuck. Like, yeah. like, I mean, I had higher hopes for Jeans and Paul's. I mean, everyone knew Peter Chris's album was going to be a joke because Peter Chris is like Peter Chris. He just he's just the fucking drummer for Kiss, and he wants to play the beats. Um, but Gene and Paul's albums were like like remarkably gross and like nobody <laughs> thought they were very good at all but ace came out of that smelling like a fucking gross um and i think that's like the earliest i could think of of like a, a, a guy going off to, uh, interesting one here here's a guy whose solo album is underrated is ian gillen from deep purple oh i haven't heard ian gillen has a whole solo career in the 80s. Like, he was, they were called the Gillen Band for a minute. Ian Gillen has a solo career that is extremely underrated. Um, he's, he's, I mean, everybody knows him as Deep Purple. I mean, the albums kind of do sound like Deep, Deep Purple. Um, well, I, but, I know I'm a, I'm a fan of Born Again. Um, it's a weird Oh, album. Born Again rules, dude. Um, <laughs> But there's a there's a band called Gillen and they did they they're called Gillen and they did a album in oh man it was like eighty one they had Magic they had Double Trouble Future Shock these are all early eighties records it was just his last name Gillen and they were just fucking great dude um, yeah like really really cool shit and he has a lot of a lot of his solo stuff and that's the the frustrating thing is like when you get to solo albums you just go it's hard to sort out what's gonna be self-absorbent you know schlock and what's actually going to be good but yeah. Ian Gillen is a great solo career like all of it's really good and especially anything in the early 80s under the the, the band Gillen listen to it it's really good I should check it out yeah it's, it's an interesting you mentioned that because I was thinking earlier about the what's the difference between going solo with your whole name and going solo with just your last name. Good like, question. Yeah, because there like, are there are so, there are Ian Gillen records, and then there are Gillen records. Right. Difference yeah. between the two? Fuck if I know. 
<laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even not, I guess I'm probably not capable of figuring that out, but hey, you know, here we are. Because um, Dio was like a band called Dio in some ways. Uh, and I think that's what makes, especially like when that, when, when Dio had that co- band cohesion, you know, kind of throughout the 80s, um, even with Dream Evil, with some lineup changes, um, it was it was a, a band, even though it was called Dio. And, and Halford was the same way, right? Like it wasn't Robert Halford Resurrection, it was just Halford. Yeah. Um, but I guess like if you're going to go solo, there is that, that kind of choice to make. Are you going to go out there and be like, you know, this is Darren Wall's album or is this like a new band, you know? The Wall. The wall. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, is it going to be Darren Wall? Is it going to be Wall? Or is it going to be like, well, we're going to have a brand new band called Fuckstick, you know? Exactly. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. And, and well, I guess as an artist at one point, do you, I guess as, a, as an artist, as the driving creative force of it, to what extent do you want it to reflect your name? Yeah. Which is an interesting decision. And for me personally, I mean, if it was my solo record, it would probably be, it would be very, very deeply personal. And, you know, I wouldn't write a song. I wouldn't write an album like about anything that wasn't extremely personal to me that didn't have, that had my name on it. You know, anything else. I mean, I like, I fully like 100% believe I love, the lyrical when we do Greyhawk, I absolutely love their lyrical content. I think it's amazing, and some of those songs are quite personal to you. Like I can tell, like mm-hmm. especially like Frozen Star or songs like that. I can I can tell that you know those are about personal experiences and observations that you've made, but they're no they're not so personal that you can't share them with other bandmates. Right. Well, I, you know, because we're a band, and and I've got a. I'm running those personal experiences through the Greyhawk filter to make sure that sure. it works with. Exactly. And that's the thing. If, if I was writing lyrics, I would definitely like say, if I'm writing this through me, it is kind of the opposite. Like if I was like, have the Darren Wall experience. Right. Right. I would be like, these should be intensely personal. Like, have you ever listened to Jerry Cantrell's solo albums? I haven't. No. Here's a solo album we should talk about. Okay. Um, not a metal, not metal at all. Um, Jerry Cantrell has two solo albums. One's called Boggy Depot. Very good album. The one that I love, though, is called Degradation Trip. Hmm. And Degradation Trip is probably the most raw, emotional, hard rock album I've ever listened to in my life. It's painful to listen to. It's very dark. It's a lot of it deals with Lane Staley's last days on planet Earth. I was going to say, yeah, was it after he died? Um, during okay shit and but his band is um rob trujillo on bass oh cool and mike borden from faith the war on drums so mm. he's got a smoking band with him and um the production is super thick super raw um and it's like damn dude like there's some really raw emotion on that record but it's under the, the label jerry cantrell mm-hmm. that's it's not like the jerry the, the cantrell band or the jerry band or Allison James or whatever. That's Jerry Cantrell degradation trip. And it's like clearly very personal to him. And it's a beautiful album. It's mm-hmm. dark as fuck. Like holy shit. It's like kinda it's kind of scary at times. Um you see, but it's and I can't listen to it sometimes. There's sometimes yeah. where I'm like, I just can't deal with the amount of emotion on that album. 
that's to me like the equivalent of that. That's to me it's like the ultimate solo record because there was something he needed to express. Um, it clearly was not to be expressed in the guise of Alice in Chains. Um, even though the music is similar, if you like Alice in Chains, you'll like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and it's it's eerie how similar um, Lane and Jerry's timber is vocally. Yeah. It's. I mean, it probably is why they made such a great duo when it came to the harmonies and shit. Like, they yep. were able to just make cool harmonies. But when you hear Jerry sing on this album, you could be like, damn, that could be Lane, Lane Staley. Like, you could be like, holy shit, that could be him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, and that's, that is a lot of the charm of Alice in Chains is those harmonies. And we've talked about it working on harmonies for Greyhawk that a lot of what makes good harmony work is matching vowels and matching phrasing and you've got to know how the person you're harmonizing with how they're going to do it and you've got to listen because if if you know if you and i sing the same phrase in just whatever way comes into our head it's not going to sound the same and it's not well, going to sound good yeah and then <laughs> even beyond that like funny fact about allison chains and the song wood mm-hmm. um jerry cantrell actually sings the main vocal interesting like when they yeah. like uh, like you know it, when they uh, like linear broken by my master the yeah. harmony is when Lane kicks in. Interesting. Jerry Cantrell sings the main vocal in that song. I you know uh, that makes sense now that I'm hearing it in my head. Yeah, it was just which is really cool. Like they they actually like were were so similar in timber and pitch and everything that they could do that kind of shit. Yeah. Which is very interesting. I mean, Carmen could be the lane, which is so fucked up. <laughs> That he couldn't do it. I don't know, but um, when you see them do it live, and it's it's it, it they, that's how they do it, and it's really cool. But yeah, Jerry Cantrell's solo albums. I mean, now that we're here and we've arrived at this point of the conversation, I would say the Degradation Trip by Jerry Cantrell is the best solo album I've ever heard about. Cool. I'll check it out. It is like make sure you're okay with being sad after you hear it. Like just okay. that's the only thing I will say. Like if you're having a great day and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna put on an album, don't put that one on because it'll <laughs> fuck your day up. <laughs> oh hey, you know what? I thought of an artist, a, a, a solo artist who has got got famous as a solo artist, and well, no, actually, never mind. He did play in in a bands first, but pretty much as far as I know, got famous as a solo artist. Ingvay Malmsteen. Yep, there you go. Bam, yeah. you got it. And it's not a singer. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, that, that absolutely, you nailed it. I mean, Ingve, I guess, was a stealer for a minute, you know, and some in, and Alcatraz, which both of which are pretty inconsequential compared to his solo career. Right. And yeah. nobody knew who the fuck he was until, well, I mean, people did. Like, the, the folks in the know knew, but it wasn't like he had to make a band before he made a solo career. He just kind of did that. So... Yeah. Anyway, you donut eating prick. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. And you know, Ingwe's fucking Ingwe's the man. So hey, you know, that's cool. Well, you know what? I think unless you got more to add to that topic, I mean, I think that's a good we've figured out a good place to wrap it all up. Um that was a fun discussion on solar records and you know, whatnot. And hey, Todd. Todd, let's work. We're the first name basis now. Yeah. Todd, so when we come to see you at your show and we're like, hey, let us sit backstage, you'll be like, oh, yeah, the guys from Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast. 
Those are my guys. We're on a first name basis. So Todd did great solo record, man. Seriously. Like fucking kick ass shit. I did not I'm not I, I really did not think I was gonna like it that much. Yeah, no, me neither. But definitely check out Todd's album. All right, well, we will be back. Um, this is going to wrap it up for another episode of Keepers of the Flame, uh, the classic metal podcast. Thank you guys so much. I mean, your positive feedback has been really cool. There's more people listening to this podcast than I ever thought would be, straight up. I'm like, damn, a lot of people who are listening to this, and I was like, man, you guys really want to hear us ramble on for this long? <laughs> I mean, cool. Like, I, I would love, I, I listen to them too. Like, I, I enjoy this level of discussion, but it's neat that a lot of other people are doing this. We've gotten a lot of subscribers and a lot of positive feedback. So thank you guys. Uh, keep the feedback coming. We'll probably have another guest next week because we really love having guests on this podcast. It's a lot of fun. So we will uh, talk to you next week. Have a good week. Yep. Uh, fuck the man. Have a good ass time. Make it through the week. See you later. Rock on. See you next week. <laughs>